Oh. Okay. Today is December 13th, 2020. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, pages in the chapter, How It Works, page 62 from the paragraph, Selfish and Self-Centeredness, through the end of the page, which is the paragraph, this is the how and the why of it. Today, our reader is Simon C. And our speaker is Elizabeth D. So Simon, if you could read that for us, please. My name is Simon and I'm a compulsive overeater. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But invariably, we invariably find that sometime in the past, we have made uh, decisions based on self, which has later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. Though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, the alcoholics must rid of this selfishness. We must or it, it kills us. God made that possible and there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. This is how and this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was keystone in the new and triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Thank you so much, Simon. And now we're gonna have Elizabeth D from Boston, Massachusetts share for approximately 20 minutes. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Kim. Thank you so much for having me this morning and thank you to everyone who's here and for everyone who makes um, service to this meeting possible. My name is Elizabeth Dee and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in the Boston area. I'm gonna switch to out of, switch to speaker view and hold on. There, that's better, <laughs> a little less intimidating. Um, so I think I thought it might be helpful first to start with um, a, a short qualification just to provide some context. Um, my top weight uh, was 265 pounds. Um, and this, at this time, I'm maintaining a 140 pound weight loss and have for, um, for about three years. Um, I've been, I mean, I'm 62 years old and I've been recovered from compulsive overeating for um, almost four years um, by the grace of God and with the help of this program, uh, working the steps one day at a time um, and um, by the grace of my higher power um, of my understanding. Um, 
So at age 27, I was referred to Overeaters Anonymous by my first psychiatrist. Um, I was um, in her office um, for clinical depression and um, she uh, was also heard a little bit of my story and she was also happened to be a specialist in eating disorders. And she recommended that in addition to our sessions together that I go to meetings of Overeaters Anonymous. And this was in 1987. Um, and I said, well, why would I go to, I didn't really know what OA was. Um, and um, I said, why would I wanna do that? And she said, really two reasons. First of all, it's the best free therapy you'll ever get. And number two, you'll learn the limits of control. And I thought limits of control <laughs> that went entirely over my head. I had no idea what she was talking about when she said that. The fact is I grew up in a family, very happy middle-class family, great values, very loving. Um, I wanted for nothing, um, really a very happy childhood. Um, we just happened to have this teensy tiny little problem with control <laughs> and with chronic fear, doubt, and insecurity. Anxiety runs naturally in my family, clinical anxiety, and it goes back years. So the guiding principle, well, let me tell you this, my, my, I'll give you an idea. My father was, went pretty far in his career. His slogan throughout his professional life, he used to say this at dinner table, was hustle makes up for the lack of ability. So this is the guy who went far in his career, but he still felt he lacked ability. And my mother, God rest her soul, God bless her, she was one of us, struggled with her weight, her entire career dieting and so forth. So I learned very early and incorporated into my guiding principle that so long as it looked good on the outside and you were thin, you were worthy of a relationship, you were worthy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that the key to you know, I learned that the key to a happy life was control, was if I controlled people, places, and things, and managed well, then everything would turn out okay. Well, the school of hard knocks, I'm 62 now, and thank you, God, 33 years of Overeaters Anonymous has have, have taught me some things. Um, and, you know, one of them is that the key to life is not control. The key to life is surrendering control in my case, to a higher power of my understanding. Um, and now that doesn't necessarily bring me happiness every single day, but it surely brings me on an ongoing basis, for the most part, a contentment, a serenity, a sense of everything is gonna be okay one day at a time, um, so long as I stay connected to this higher power. And so long as I, as I keep that keystone in place, like it says in the, in the reading. Um, and, I, and I will say one final thing about my story, and that is 33 years have not been back-to-back -back abstinent. Trust me, I've had a lot of relapse and periods where this disease took me over and um, wreaked havoc in my life. And I'll give you a couple of examples of how um, that fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity wreaked havoc in my life and how I have come to understand them. And um, with the spiritual toolkit that I found in this program, I've been able to one day at a time try to, to let mitigate their, their impact on my life. But I have to say, this is an ongoing endeavor. 
right up to this moment. When Kim sent me the reminder on Tuesday that I was going to be speaking to you all, my first thought was, oh, I can't. Oh my God, I, I, I can't do this. I am not worthy. I'm having a, I was having a terrible couple of weeks. I was smack dab in the bedevilments on page 52 where it was saying, you know, I was having trouble with my personal relationships. I couldn't control my emotional nature. The co-worker I was working with was moving too slow. I mean, wasn't, you know, following my script. And I just was all wrapped up. And, you know, this is the busiest time of year in my career. This is the time of year when I miss my parents most the pandemic, living with a teenager who's having that senior year that is not what we expected. I mean, the, my emotions were all over the map. And here's Kim knocking on my door. You're going to be talking about these three paragraphs. And I thought, oh, shoot. So I read the three paragraphs. And then I thought, oh, okay, God, that's it. You wanted me in these three paragraphs because you wanted to remind me that I haven't been doing my 11th step and I've been staying up too late, et cetera. And that's why I'm in the bedevilments. So this is how my higher power works. My higher power works, doesn't know, higher power doesn't always give me what I want, but without a doubt, I get what I need if I remain open and I just keep taking the actions of showing up for this program. So let's dive in. So the, this paragraph is like super, super important. Uh, to me, um, because and what jumps out at me on the page first and foremost is these words, uh, driven by a, a hundred form forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. First thing I notice is the order of those words: fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. Wow, you know that really hit me over the head when I read them earlier this week. Um, when I think about it, the root of all of these problems are, is fear. So fear first, I'm not gonna get what I want. I don't, I'm not gonna get what I deserve. I'm gonna lose something I have that I think I need. Whatever the fear is, I should be doing X, Y, Z. So all this fear born of expectation, et cetera, fear, okay, drives it. Then comes the self-delusion. Well, if I manage well, and if I do X, Y, Z, and if I blah, 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 then, so the thinking, the, the self-delusion, the lie, if I can do X, Y, then, then I can get those things or have those things or not lose those things or whatever. Then the self-seeking comes in. I start acting on that thinking, the thinking that says, I, if I manage well, everything will be okay. And then I start acting out. And when I start acting out on my emotions without a higher power, things go badly a lot of the time. And then I fall into, there it is, self-pity. And when it's at self-pity, when it's at that point, boy, I am really vulnerable to that first bite. So I love the way, the order that that comes in. You know, how many problems in my life have stemmed from this very thing? They have been basically of my own doing. So, you know, in my, in my personal life, I can give you one example. So I'm in my, I, I was in my early 40s, it was 20 years ago, thin for the first time in my adult life. And I met a man who was very charming. We had an uh, online dating. We had a uh, long distance relationship. And um, it was at that point that I was starting the process of adopting my daughter. Um, as a baby, I was planned to adopt a child from overseas. And I told him that, that this was my plan, that in the next year or two, that's what I was going to be doing. And I asked him, you know, that means that we need to have an exclusive relationship. I really, you know, want to be clear that our relationship is, is exclusive because 
I can't afford to get a disease of any kind before I go through this process of being screened to be a parent. And he said, oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, halfway through the year, maybe three quarters through the year, I started to get a suspicion that maybe he wasn't really being honest with me about the exclusivity piece. And yet I kept the relationship going for another several months. Now I asked questions to try to flesh out, flesh out whether he was being unfaithful. But the fact is I didn't ask the right questions because I didn't want to hear the truth. I wanted to keep it going. I wanted to keep the relationship going. Why? Because I feared being alone because I was thin for the first time. I had never had a long-term relationship and I needed to prove to myself that I could have a long-term relationship. So the ego came in, the self-centeredness. And I hung on to, I hung on to him. Even though he was giving me signals that this was not a guy who wanted to be in a committed, exclusive relationship. So I hung on, I hung on. When I finally found out through another source, not through my own questioning, that he was being unfaithful to me, it, it, it was devastating, of course. It proved everything that I had, suspe- had suspected. And of course, I ended the relationship immediately. And then I had to go through months because of the way he was being unfaithful of STD testing to make sure that I could still follow through on my plan to adopt. And luckily I came through okay with that, but it was devastating. And for years, I blamed him for the, for the horrible period that was in my life. But later um, I learned quite to my astonishment that this trouble very much was basically of my own making. I was not listening to my higher power. I was not I, I, I was I was certainly in myself in my self delusion um, because of that that fear of being alone and in my professional life. Um, just check my my timing here because I don't want to I may want to cut this short. Um, in my professional life, you know, it says in one of the bedevilments. It says um, in, on back on page fifty two. It says. Um, we were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. Now, I come up from a professional family. So for a long time, I just did not relate to that at all. I'm, I'm a nice, you know, I'm a, I'm a good professional. You know, I, that, that doesn't apply to me. Well, guess what? I had had six positions in my 30-year, 35-year career. Two of those positions, I was laid off, really let go. And why was I let go? Because on the run-up to the let, being let go, I was either full, full blown in the food, like eating compulsively and working at 40% capacity in my job, which made me vulnerable to layoff, or I was using OA as a diet with group support. And I was going to meetings and I was abstinent, quote unquote, and, but I wasn't working the steps. So let me give you an example. At that point, in, in that particular moment when I was using OA as a diet program, I had been in a job for about, I was in a job, I had been in a job for about five years and had done well in that job. And in the second five years, I was definitely in that space of working OA as a diet, as a diet with group support. And I was not working the steps. Why? Because I'm, I had adopted my daughter. Thank you, God. I got my heart's desire. She was young and I was working a full-time job. I had a mortgage now. I had to keep I had to keep the world spinning on, spinning on its axis for the two of us. And, and I can't make it. The fact is 
the job had become too much for me. And it really was more job than I wanted and it wasn't a good fit. And the new, new boss that had been brought in really didn't like my style. And for, for months I, and for years, I was in self-delusion. It, um, uh, I, I thought um, the lie I told myself that is I could ride on the success of the first five years in the job, big lie. Um, I refused to connect the dots, dots politically to what was happening behind the scenes. And I wasn't asking the right questions again, because I didn't want to hear the truth. Um, and fear, mainly all of this was because of fear. Now I was let go. It was handled badly. There's no question about it. But the fact is this trouble was basically of my own making. I should have left that job a lot earlier, but I was afraid. And I wasn't connecting with my higher power. The, he, God was not my principal at that point. Um, the good news is that, that that layoff and the devastation of it sent me into a full-blown relapse. It didn't last long. It was in 2015. And I found a way to work Overeaters Anonymous, a new way to work Overeaters Anonymous, where the focus was on getting recovered by working the steps quickly in entire abstinence. And these were phone meetings. I found them. Thank you, God. And um, over the course of the next few months, I got myself back into um, uh, a relationship with my higher power and got a new job and everything went, went forward. Um, but, you know, it, it's just very clear to me that unless I am working this program every single day, I must work this program every single um, day. Um, because I had a relapse after that. And the relapse came because I thought that I didn't have to work 10, 11, and 12. Five and, minutes. Thank you. So, um, well, let me just uh, skip forward to here. And this is, this is really the key, one of the key points I want to make around the, the spiritual aspect of this. In the second par paragraph, it says, many of us have moral and philosophical um, convictions galore, but we could not live up to them, even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. <laughs> I'm a church lady, okay? I grew up in a family where my father called me the spiritual director. I did grace it at our meals. I thought about divinity school, maybe the priest, maybe the becoming an Episcopal priest. You know, I'm a, I'm a religious person. But what I have discovered is that that really isn't enough for me. Um, in 2015 and 2016, when I discovered the toolkit embodied in the big book, um, as I said, my uh, right around that time, my daughter and I went back to Kazakhstan to her birth country. It was very exciting and an amazing trip. And I came back and in the course of all that, I let my steps 10, 11 and 12 go. And by the fall, I was full force back into the food, worse than ever. Good news is I got the gift of desperation in January. And in January 2017, I had a new sponsor. We went quickly through the steps. And I had the most profound learning around step three that I've had in all of my years in OA. I, it became clear to me my own agnosticism. Sure, I believed in God. But I did not believe that God had anything to do with my problem with food and the way I used food. And I needed to break all of that down. 
and did break that down. Thank you, God, with the help of that sponsor and with the with this. And, and, and I have to use these tools every single day. Where it says here, he is the father and we are his children. Many good ideas are simple. And this concept was a keystone of the new and triumphant art with which we pass to freedom. Someone explained to me that a keystone is that stone at the very top of an arch that holds both sides up. You take the keystone out and it topples down. The fact is for me, God is either is in every aspect of my life or God isn't and I'm running on self-will. And when I'm running on self-will, I am prayed in fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. And I'm on my way to eating again. And that's not a life for me. And um, so, you know, that coworker that I, that's been frustrating me because of his slow, methodical pace, well, you know, God helped me. Um, I made amends to him and said, listen, if I'm getting too opinionated, please tell me, you know, because I was interrupting him. Um, you know, my daughter, <laughs> it's tough right now. The nest is getting pretty tight. She's going off to college. We're arguing a lot and it's hard. And I have to go back to the love and tolerance that it talks about in the big book often. And um, because the fact is, unless God is, is everything, then it, God has to be everything in my life. And um, so I feel like I'm rambling now and I feel extraordinarily grateful to have been asked to put my head back into these three paragraphs because I needed them. And as I said, I don't always get what I want, but my higher power certainly gives me what I need. And um, I'm grateful to be part of this meeting and to share my story. Thanks. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Let's stop the recording.